When I look to the future, I think the market of the future is going to be much more what we think about a normal market than maybe what the last two years have been. And by that, I mean franchise dealers will tend to have plenty of vehicles on their lots, new cars. Manufacturers will offer incentives to move those vehicles in the way that they did, but maybe they haven't done as much in the last few years. So there'll be incentives, there'll be lease incentives, all that kind of stuff. We'll probably see a more robust wholesale market, uh, meaning that when dealers take, when franchise dealers take car in on trade, they'll probably wholesale a good percentage of those rather than thinking, well, my lot's empty, I'm going to hang on to all these trades. I think they'll wholesale those. When consumers get to the end of their leases, they'll find there's not much equity in that lease. I'm going to return that car and put it into the wholesale market. So I think we'll see more of that again in the future than we've seen over the last couple of years. What's up, everyone? This is Car Dealership Guy. You're listening to the Car Dealership Guy podcast, which is my effort to give you access to the most unbiased and transparent insights into the car market. Let's get into today's episode. Peter Kelly is the CEO of OpenLane, an international auction platform that makes wholesale easy for dealers. In this conversation, we discussed going from Irish farmer to founding a digital car auction platform, OpenLane's recent acquisition of Mannheim, Canada, Peter's predictions for the car market, the future of automotive wholesale, arbitraging Canadian vehicles in the US, and much more. Before we get into the show, don't forget to subscribe to my very own Car Dealership Guy newsletter for the latest insights into automotive. Emails go out weekly and contain my most transparent insights into the market. And the best part, it's 100% free. Some of the recent topics I've written about include the state of dealership buy sales, Amazon's online car sales announcement, Ford's challenges with its dealer body, and much more. Be the first to know where the market is moving, join 53,000 others, and subscribe to the Car Dealership Guy newsletter at dealershipguide.com or visit the link in the show notes below. Again, that's dealershipguide.com. This episode is also brought to you by CarNow. CarNow is the industry leader in automotive messaging and digital retailing solutions. CarNow's powerful platform creates transparency and trust between customers and dealers by providing seamless dealer management and enhanced communication tools for shoppers. New dealer partners who sign up before the end of the year can get 60 days of free service on any of CarNow's messaging and digital retailing solutions. 60 days. This is a big deal as CarNow partners are experiencing an impressive 77% average chat to lead conversion rate and a substantial return on their investment. Don't miss out. See how CarNow can make an impact at your dealership by visiting carnow.com slash CDG or visiting the link in the show notes below. That's carnow.com slash CDG. Just reading through some things, I went, I saw Irish Farm to Construction Career. Stanford MBA incubating the original open lane. I mean, can I'll just take a pause there. Can you give us the whole story? How did we get here? Yeah, a little interesting journey. I, as you said, grew up on a farm in the west of Ireland. I enjoy that a lot. We did a lot of farm work as a kid. I think I learned the value of hard work there. But, you know, in my school years, I did pretty well. I ended up going to college doing an engineering science degree. And when I graduated, I kind of wanted to go leave the country. So I went to the UK. I worked in construction building infrastructure projects, ton of fun, you know, worked with a lot of blue collar workers and immigrants and all sorts of folks in, in London and various parts of England and Wales, a little bit in Scotland. Love that. Started actually doing a little bit more in technology to help me be more productive in my job. So that's kind of where I started learning about technology. And I guess one thing and another, I, I got more interested in entrepreneurship, technology, and I thought, man, if I could get out to Silicon Valley, to Stanford, that'd be a cool thing to do. So I thought, well, I'll apply. And I was fortunate enough to get in. So got in. While I was there, I teamed up with a couple of guys and we said, it's a dot-com era. This was 1998, 99 timeframe. 
A lot of businesses getting started around then, a lot of disruption going on. We were looking at technology, auctions, how could we disrupt different industries? One of the guys had a sort of automotive idea. And as we dug in, this open lane vision kind of took place. And I can remember one day we went to a large auction out in the Bay Area, physical auction. And that was a real eye-opening day for me because going to that auction, seeing 100 acres of cars, maybe 1,000 dealers attending 12 different lanes and the intensity of an auction day, pre-technology really, pre-simulcast, or maybe early simulcast. And we just felt, man, this is an industry. The internet's going to change this industry. It'd be fun to be part of making that change. And, and that's what we did. And, and what did you really do? I mean, what was the original open lane? The original open lane, what we were trying to do was take that whole physical auction and move it online. We felt, why do you need to move the car to a location? Why does the dealer have to come to that location? Uh, can't you just inspect that car, take photos of that car, wherever it is, put it up on the internet? and have dealers log on. eBay had just gone public, so into an eBay-style auction was our vision, and sell the car, and cut out a lot of costs, make it more efficient, create a national market. That was kind of the vision. But I also think back to then, was pre-smartphone, dial-up modem. It was a very different world, right? So the core of the idea made sense. A lot of the necessary components probably weren't really there. So it, it took a long time to come to fruition. I mean, you were early. I got to yeah. say, people probably thought you were crazy. I'd have to imagine. Yeah, we probably were a little crazy. Uh, <laughs> we were early. Yeah, we had a couple of tough years. But, you know, we got some traction with a few OEMs who were interested in building these private label solutions for their dealers to sell their off-lease cars. So we thought, well, we can use our technology for that. So we got into that. And one customer led to another. And, yeah, we had some ups and downs. But generally, the business grew. And the technology caught up a little bit. The second guest I ever had on this podcast was Christopher Coleman, founder of Carlipso. Oh, yeah. Who then went on to find, found with Clutch. Similar story to you in that Stanford grads, very intrigued by the auto business and were focused sort of on wholesale. But their vision was to sort of do wholesale direct to consumer. Didn't quite work out. Things did end up working out for them personally. I got acquired by Carvana. I went on to do great things. But yeah, it's interesting. It's on a similar vision. Yeah, I know Chris. I know I know Christopher. I met him. I haven't met him for a few years, but I, I know him from back then. Yeah. yeah, I figured that's awesome. Now, and were you the first digital auction, like simulcast aside, which was meant to take a traditional auction and digitize it? Correct me if I'm wrong, but were you the first fully digital auction attempt? I would say we were certainly one of the first. There were a few others. Some of them ended up getting rolled up into our company uh, over the next few years. There was a company in Canada called OnLane. There was a company based in Phoenix called Auto Trade Center. They all sort of, we, had, we combined with those companies over a three or four year period. And then there were a few companies that didn't make it. So there was, there was a five or six, I'd say, entrance in that sort of year or two year period back then. But then there was a winnowing out of, of that as, as the business sort of evolved. 36 hours ago, you guys made a really big announcement. You announced that you're acquiring all of uh, Mannheim, Canada, and associated assets, and you'll get into that in a second. One of the questions I got from many dealers was simply like confusion about what is open lane, who is open lane. So before we even get into what you're working on, can you give us just like a lay of the land, explain your company's branding, what you do, the different components of the company? Yeah, I, I, I understand that. First of all, open lane is an independent publicly traded company. Okay. So we're owned by our shareholders. 
If anybody in this podcast wants to buy a share, they can on the public markets. We're not owned or controlled by any other company or affiliated with any other company. We're blessed by having customers across this entire industry from the biggest OEMs to thousands of franchise dealers, thousands of independent dealers. We love this industry. And our, our purpose, the reason we exist, is to make the wholesale process easy so our customers can be more successful. So what are we? We're the leading, I would say, digital marketplace for used vehicles. We're going to sell about 1.3 million vehicles this year. Okay, so it's a lot of vehicles. All of those vehicles are bought by dealers. Okay, and half of those vehicles are sold by dealers. So it's, again, a wholesale marketplace. And the other half of this, the volume we sell will be sold by commercial customers finance companies, OEMs, rental companies, and, and so forth. Most of that volume is in North America, the majority in the U.S., but we have a strong presence in Canada. Uh, we'll talk about that here later. And we also then own a finance company called AFC, which uh, I know many of your audience would be familiar with. That's one of the leading floor plan companies for independent dealers. We floor plan with them many years ago, but we floor plan with them until the point we didn't, we didn't need the floor plan anymore. Yeah, so that's the company. Now, there has been a lot of change. We did divest of the Odessa business in the U.S. last year. We've grown a lot by acquisition. And over the past, I'll say, 24 months, we've been integrating digital platforms into one common platform. So we had CarWave, Backlog Cars, now all integrated into an open lane brand in the U.S. And in Canada, we had Odessa and TradeRev integrated into an open lane brand in Canada. So I'm excited that we finished this year with one brand, which is open lane in all our marketplaces, U.S., Canada, and we have some business in Europe and excited for the future here. T tell me more about this acquisition, right? You recently sold Odessa US a couple years back to Carvana. I think every, or many people listening to this know that. So why, why buy Mannheim Canada so soon after selling Odessa US? Yeah, well, a number of reasons. Canada is a, a core market for us. We've got a strong market position in Canada. Uh, again, formerly trade revenue Odessa, but, but now openly. And our business in Canada, I would say, is a combination of a physical footprint. We have, I think, 13 sites across Canada from coast to coast, but also a very strong digital platform. All the cars we sell are sold digitally online. We don't run sort of the traditional across-the-block in-lane auction any longer. So we sell a lot of cars that never come to our facilities. We sell a lot of cars from our facilities, but they're all sold digitally. Mannheim was a competitor in Canada. I guess one thing I'd say is that over the last number of years, there has been a migration of volume from purely physical to a digital more format, right? Cars that used to come to a physical auction no longer do. They're sold from the dealer's lots on a digital platform. So we've seen that in our, in our facilities in Canada. So has Mannheim. Cox Automotive divested of some businesses last year in Canada. And when I saw that, I thought, Perhaps they were thinking of exiting the Canadian market entirely. So that initiated a discussion with them around their physical business. And frankly, as I said the other day on an investor call, it enabled us in each market to sort of consolidate facilities to greater scale and efficiency. Because the reality is we had facilities that were not full and, and, and not fully utilized, and so did they. And this gets a chance to consolidate the volume and, and have a more efficient sort of physical footprint for the business that actually exists in Canada today, given that we've had a lot of digital change. Got it. So you think you're going to get more like operating leverage just by more demand, filling up, filling up your lots and your facilities? I think there's more operating leverage. I'd also say that our digital offering in Canada, in terms of a number of buyers, was 
just a lot stronger than Mannheim's in Canada. So I think this also has benefits for Mannheim customers. It's going to put those vehicles in front of a greater audience of buyers. And for our buyers, it's also beneficial because now they're going to have access to even greater numbers of vehicles. So all of those kind of benefits as well. But, but fundamentally, the industry has been evolving. It's been moving away from a purely physical model towards a more digital model. And uh, you know that. You see that on your, on, on, in, in your media empire. That's very evident based on the comments that we see, right? And I think this, this transaction reflects that. It's just an, 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 a sort of an evolution of that. You have, I mean, you have physical auctions, you have dealer-to-dealer marketplaces, backlot cars, I mean, plenty of other services you offer. Do you think that the future is, is a blend of the two? Or do you think that the industry is trending in one direction versus another? I think the future, no matter what industry you're in, is going to be more digital than it was in the past. Just if we look at the next generation, my kids coming up, they're way more digital than I ever was. New people entering the industry are more digital than people who entered 20 years ago. So I think pick your industry. It's going to be more digital in the future. And I think that's true of our industry too. I think both have a role to play. But when I think of what companies like OpenLane offer today, so we can go inspect a vehicle anywhere at any dealership or any other facility. We can inspect a vehicle quickly and inexpensively. We can put that vehicle into a digital marketplace immediately. It'll immediately attract interest from buyers and bids. It can be sold that day and it can be delivered tomorrow. That's incredibly efficient. That's just an incredibly efficient engine. It benefits the seller. It benefits the buyer. And I, I just think that's going to that's gonna win the day long run in this industry. And, and I've sort of seen that play out in the off-lease space, which is where OpenLane started. We started with off-lease customers selling off-lease vehicles. And when we started, we were selling... I don't know, 20% of the cars that the seller was posting. And then 15 years later, it was 60% of the cars, right? So I see that now playing out in the dealer-to-dealer realm. Franchise dealers can now sell directly from their lot through services like ours. It's convenient, it's fast, it's efficient. So I'm just, I guess, a believer in that. And then as CEO of the company, you've got to make choices on where do we commit our resources? And I'd rather commit our resources into that part of the industry where I think we're going to see the growth and where we're going to have the most positive impact to our customers. And that, that's, that's what we're doing. What do, you, what do you think is the key to a successful auction at your scale? What do dealers really want? Yeah, it's a good question. I go back to our purpose statement, make wholesale easy so our customers can be more successful. Our customers are businesses. They, they live and die on the numbers, on their financial performance at the end of every month and quarter. I mean, I recognize that. Wholesale is important for our customers, but usually it's not their core business. Dealers, core business is probably retailing cars. Wholesale is important for the excess trades you have and for sourcing vehicles if you're an independent dealer. It's not the core business. The core business is retail. If you're an OEM, the core business is manufacturing or merchandising. But wholesale is important. We need to make it easy. That's what I try and emphasize with our team every single day. So what really matters to the seller? What matters to our sellers is can you sell a high percentage of my cars? Can you, get, can you sell it fast? Can you get market price, right? And get it off my lot quickly. I think those kind of attributes. And for a buyer, it's can you offer me a broad selection of inventory? Can you be easy to do business with? The prices need to be reasonable. I mean, we don't set the prices on the vehicles. We're just the marketplace. But the fees need to be reasonable. You need to have condition reports I can trust. All of these types of, types of things. And, and 
we distill all that down into the word sort of easy. The process has to be easy and painless for the customers. It's got, we've got to be a company our customers can trust to do business. We've got to trust the condition report, so on and so forth. So that's the area we really focus on. Listen, I think it's a journey. I think we're better than we've ever been before at it. We, we hope to be better next year than we're this year. And then obviously we try and do it at a very competitive price, fee structure, et cetera. And I think we compare very well on that front too. I did a podcast a couple months back with uh, Bob Hollandhead. And I don't know if you got exposed to that one, but I highly recommend it. All about auction business to come up. Very, very, very entertaining and interesting. I should listen to that. I know Bob. I didn't hear that podcast, but I, I've met Bob on a number of occasions. Figure. Yeah, yeah. So I'll send that to you after we finish this. T tell me more about, you see, you mentioned, I forget the exact number you mentioned, but the millions of transactions you oversee annually. What is your take right now on consumers in automotive in terms of just supply, demand, affordability? How do you think about that? The world out there is changing again pretty rapidly right now. And I, I, I hesitate to predict because the last few years have been so difficult to predict. I think we're all humbled by, I say my crystal ball is very murky. I can't really see into it very well. But, you know, what are we seeing? I think that when we look back, we'll, we'll think that these last few years were kind of an anomaly. The pandemic, supply disruption caused a massive run up in, in new car prices, used car prices and all the implications of that. And I think we're seeing that sort of unwind right now. There's an affordability issue with, with used vehicles and new vehicles, right? Prices are high, interest rates are high, and, I, and the consumer can't show up, I don't think, or a lot of consumers can't show up and, and make that work. And I think something's gonna have to give there, which is either interest rates need to come down a little bit, which could happen, or used vehicle prices will remain under pressure, which they are right now. I think that's one thing. I think affordability at the consumer level is, is, is important. What about your customers? Well, our customer, our customer then is the dealer, right? So here's what I'd say is dealers, the one thing I've got to be like super impressed with with dealers, given my 20 plus years now in the business, dealers are extremely resilient, right? Dealers in, in that sort of 20 plus year period, they've encountered all sorts of markets, good markets, recessions, pandemics, and they figure it out. I think dealers offer a, a very valuable and necessary service, whether it's franchise dealers or independent dealers. They support the supply chain of new and used vehicles, and they're entrepreneurs, and, and they, they, they figure out how to make it work. I think there probably are some challenges. A, decline, a declining price environment is tough when you hold inventory. So if, if, if used vehicles are depreciating, you want to be really sort of mindful about how much inventory you're holding, don't hold it too long, all that sort of stuff. And we have to be mindful about that as well because we finance many of those dealers, right, on the independent dealer side, right? But I guess if I had to sort of distill it all down, I'd say when I look to the future, I think the market of the future is going to be much more what we think about a normal market than maybe what the last two years have been. And by that, I mean franchise dealers will tend to have plenty of vehicles on their lots, new cars. Manufacturers will offer incentives to move those vehicles in the way that they did, but maybe they haven't done as much in the last few years. So there'll be incentives, there'll be lease incentives, all that kind of stuff. We'll probably see a more robust wholesale market, uh, meaning that when dealers take, when franchise dealers take car in on trade, they'll probably wholesale a good percentage of those rather than thinking, well, my lot's empty, I'm gonna hang on to all these trades. I think they'll wholesale those. When consumers get to the end of their leases, they'll find there's not much equity in that lease. I'm gonna return that car and put it into the wholesale market. So I think we'll see more of that again in the future than we've seen over the last couple of years. 
Mm-hmm. It feels like we're in like the unwind period still at this point because you're seeing on one hand Stellantis, Chrysler, Dodge, Pram, etc. They have lots are packed. Incentives are starting and continuing to increase. On the other hand, I'm getting consumers who every day write to me, hey, I'm looking for a, a Grand Highlander hybrid or Toyota Sienna and I just can't get it still. And it's very much that very K-shaped recovery, however you want to call it, where some brands are still doing very good with supply, others are still lacking. And it's that in-between stage still. Yeah, I agree. I would say that's the good. I think we're in an unwind phase. I don't expect it's going to unwind back to all the way it was pre-pandemic, by the way. I would say if I look at used car values, they went as high as 50% up versus pre-pandemic. And I think they've come down maybe 20%. So today they're about 30% higher. My guess is they come down a little bit more, but I, but I don't think they're ever going to go back to where they were. There has been inflation, right? The dollar in our pocket's actually worth less today than it was then. And there's been a deficit of cars produced, right? Structurally, for the last two and a half years to three years, there's just been fewer new cars built. And that's, that's a deficit of used cars, right? So I think all that kind of supports values and, and prevents them from going all the way back to where they were. But again... I think we're still in a little bit of an unwind. There's a bit more unwinding to do, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned inflation. I mean, cost to produce a car went up. And so structurally, the entire market is, is buoyed like that. Tell me more. I, I think you were, you were mentioning, we we're talking about your operations in Canada, your expansion. Just looking through your different brands, I was even surprised. Some brands that I wasn't aware of, but many, many different brands offering lots of services throughout the industry. Why do you look abroad for value? What drives that? You mentioned you're also very acquisitive, which makes makes a lot of sense. But tell me about looking abroad. What drives that decision? I guess what I'd say is we have been acquisitive. I mean, I've been CEO for two years. I've maybe been a little less acquisitive and more focused on the integration of the businesses we have. We do have a business in Europe. It's now called Open Lane Europe, and it's it's doing quite well. It's growing. It's definitely a, a contributor. I'm glad we own the business. I think it was a good deal, a good acquisition for us. But I, I will say my focus is very much North American based. More than 90% of the cars we sell are in North America. Frankly, the environment in North America has been a challenge, right? In the wholesale space, there's just been fewer vehicles for the last few years. So we've been challenged there. We've been working through that. That's been my focus. And uh, that's going to continue to be my focus. You're, you're right. There, there aren't a ton of synergies between North America and Europe, by which I mean European buyers aren't logging into our marketplace in North America and buying cars and taking them over there. And, and, and neither is the opposite happening, right? So they're very distinct, separate geographies. So you're into the realm of like technology synergies and business model synergies. But I'm glad we own the business we own, but my focus is clearly on North America. On, on that point, so you mentioned European buyers are not looking at North American cars, which makes total sense. I wouldn't expect otherwise. Just American dealers and American market in general, do you think there should, do, they should be looking towards Canadian vehicles for potentially better value? Is there, is there that arbitrage there? What do you think about that? Yeah, well, so the reality is there is a healthy, well, in many years, there's a healthy cross-border trade, and it's typically of Canadian vehicles into the U.S. market. I'm very, I'm very familiar. <laughs> yeah, okay, got it. And those volumes have been very high these past few years, very high these past few years. The strength of the demand in the U.S., the, the rapid appreciation of, of used vehicle values caused buyers to, where, where can I get these vehicles? And, and so, 
that was a real strong driver of, Can of Canadian market performance, I'd say in 2021, 2022. And then you mentioned the word unwinding a few months, uh, a few moments ago. I would say over the last few months, we've seen a real fall off in that. As the US market has cooled, it's had a disproportionate impact in Canada because that demand, that extra demand, not only did the Canadian market cool, but then that extra demand also went away. So it took a double whammy, right? So, but th there's a bunch of businesses, and you probably know some of them, who do a great job of, they, they purchase vehicles in Canada speculatively, hundreds of them, thousands of them. They take them down to auctions in the US or digital platforms in the US, and they obviously work, they change the odometer to cut to miles and do get the legal process figured out and, and, and sell the cars down here. And I mean, there's full lanes full of Canadian vehicles. Yes, so that's, yeah. I don't remember seeing that in like the earlier 2010s. And, and maybe I was just too young in the industry, but I, for me, I felt like it started more around like the, the mid 2010s and, or at least it picked up. You're probably, well, it has ebbed and flowed. Exchange rate really matters, right? So I would say in the, in the aughts, the 2000 to 2010, there were some years there where there was very strong export volume. And then the Canadian dollar strengthened and almost got to parity for a while. And I think the export market kind of diminished. And then it built back up and then it really exploded through the pandemic. And now it's sort of compressing again. So it, it comes in cycles. Because you have additional embedded costs and whatnot. Exactly, exactly. The exchange rate really matters, obviously. And then the, de the relative demand in both markets matters as well. Peter, I know you're super tight on time. Really appreciate you making this on a 12 to 24 hour notice. So we appreciate you coming on. So before we wrap up, I mean, just what is the future for OpenLane looking like? I'm sure we'll have many more conversations, but give us a little teaser. I'm, I'm very excited about the future, not just of the company, but of the industry. Love this industry. Listen, people need transportation. They need to get to work. They want that freedom that car ownership brings. So I think that's inherent in what we provide. I think dealers are essential to everything this industry does. So we, we love serving dealers, franchise and independent dealers in US and Canada. Wholesale volumes have been under pressure for the last few years. I think that's going to change. You mentioned the unwinding. I think that's going to put more vehicles into the wholesale channel over time. It's going to be slow and steady, but that's still good. Our business will grow. And then I'm just excited about a more digital future for this industry. We've got uh, great platforms, great technologies, a great team. And again, we're focused on leveraging those technologies to make the process easy for our dealers, make the wholesale process easy, help make dealers more successful. And that creates an exciting future for all of us, I, I hope and I believe. Well put. Peter, thanks so much for coming on. If anyone wants to learn more about OpenLane, you can go to openlane.com. I just confirmed you definitely have the domain. So we're good there. This was great. Thanks so much for, for making the time. Pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Car Dealership Guy. Excited to be on your podcast here. Thank you. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Please give the podcast a rating, consider subscribing to the show, and check the show notes for links to what we talked about. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time.